0: Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging.
1: This podcast is sponsored by the ASC Masterclass, a five-day seminar taught in Hollywood. Learn more at Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast, I'm Jim Hempill. My guest today is Christopher Manley, ASC, who has been a director of photography on the AMC series Mad Men since the beginning of its second season in 2008. At the end of season five, Chris made his directorial debut on the show, and in the current season, Mad Men's seventh and final, Manley has been alternating between jobs, directing two episodes and serving as the cinematographer for three during the first half of the season. Chris Manley got his start in the world of low-budget independent films before becoming an Emmy and ASC Award-nominated director of photography on series such as CSI New York, Threat Matrix, and Prison Break. He also shot the pilots for Revenge and Homeland. Today we'll be talking about his work on season seven of Mad Men and what it's like to move between jobs as director and director of photography on the show. Uh, I want to start out with a pretty broad question, which is how you feel the style of Mad Men has evolved over the course of the series. which I know is a big question, but do you feel like there have been dramatic shifts in your approach since you began? And if so, how has the look of the series changed? Um, I, I think it has changed slightly. I
0: don't think there have been dramatic shifts. I started, you know, as you said, on the show season two. So the first thing I did was study season one, which had a surprisingly unified look considering there were four different cinematographers who worked on season one for various reasons. But what I saw was that a lot of, well, you know, in terms of um, the style of the show, I I picked up on that right away. It's very, the lensing is wider than typical TV shows and it felt very much like a film, uh, kind of an old fashioned film, single camera style. And i didn't see a lot of extreme in lenses so it looked like they were working with a narrow range you know from you know 25 mil for the wide shots to you know 75 mils for an occasional close-up and i liked kind of the the seeming discipline they had in that um and also it was a very kind of invisible camera style you know they didn't do a lot of overt moves a very classic style you know the other notable thing you see first is a lot of low angles a lot of low heroic angles and you know this goes way back you know from john ford and orson wells and i know in the beginning of the series they referenced a lot uh billy wilder's uh the apartment especially the office scenes there were some other other movies that they referenced i can't recall the titles right now but that took place in offices and and you know the the lighting offices with drop ceilings with fluorescence in the ceilings was kind of relatively new at that point and, and they used that a lot in the apartment and Phil Abraham exploited that in the pilot um, and it's actually you know, in an office space when you're when you're low and you look up towards the ceiling the, the ceiling panels and the lights themselves create really strong graphics so not only is it heroic, but it's, it's graphically interesting. So those were the things that I noticed when I started on the series, and, and that's what I tried to emulate going into season two. I didn't get a whole lot of notes from the producers, so I just kind of ran with what I had seen in season one and tried to do that as best I could. But what was remarkable to me as well was that the lighting had... There are many scenes in season one where the lighting had kind of an old-fashioned, kind of 1950s or six, early 60s kind of studio style, where you know it had strong backlight and it everything looked you know well lit and kind of lush in an old-fashioned lighting style. So I, I was I started out trying to do more of that. Now this is not in the office sets, but more in the the swing sets and the home environments and places like that. The, the show felt like you know movies of that time period. And over the course of working on the show for the next year or two, I learned that that was not Matthew Weiner's preference. And it's not, you know, it's a fun style to work in, but it's not my go-to preference either. And so what I found over, more or less discovered it in season three, was that he and I kind of both preferred uh, a more naturalistic lighting style you know, a lot more soft light, bounce light, directional light, and to never, you know, to try to never give away that we're shooting in a studio, to make it look more like a location. And this is a much more 60s style of of cinematography, uh, which, you know, which came in the mid to late 60s with the work of people like Haskell Wexler and Nestor Almendros. And partly that was because the film stocks were becoming faster and it became easier to work with bounce light sources rather than having to use stronger direct lights, uh, which was more the old-fashioned style. So it, it kind of worked out very nice and very naturally in the series, that, you know, the series started in 1959 or 1960 and then, you know, goes all the way into the late 60s. So that the kind of natural transition of the lighting style for me working on the show happened to correspond with the time period shift in the show. and, and you know, there were a few years where we jump ahead a year, a year and a half, and it and it very quickly got through the '60s. So the the style became partly by accident reflected the, those changes in cinematography in the '60s.
1: I was wondering about that if it was how conscious that was because I do feel like the show always reflects kind of visual references from the time. Like even you know the current season that takes place, I think in 1969, there's a lot of you know very Kubrickian stuff in it. and some of it, you know, there are very overt homages to Kubrick in certain episodes. And I was wondering how much you talk about that with uh, Matthew Weiner or the other producers. Um, do you guys look at specific films or TV shows from the era in any given se- season and use those as visual references?
0: Uh, we do. I mean, occasionally Matt will, at the beginning of a season, he'll, he'll tell everyone to watch a movie. Or, like, two or three titles. Like, I remember one year it was, it was Shadows, my Casavetes, and now, you know, and I can't remember the other titles, but not so much that he wanted to emulate that style, but there was something in that that he wanted to inform us in our work. I remember, I, I, I think it was season four, it was, he was looking for more grittiness. So, we looked at Midnight Cowboy. Matthew is very intent upon creating a reality and part of that for him is seeing environments that look messy in the way that real life does. So for instance on, on you know on our show for instance the, the lamps, the phone cords, all these cables that 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 hang off of desks or walls in our environment are always cleaned up in movies and he never wanted to do that. He you know he would Tell the art department and the set dressers and and me like don't fix those things don't you know I want to see cable. I want to see mess. I want to see seams and lampshades I want to see you know, I want to see dirt I want to see clutter and the art department actually scenic a lot of the office and kind of made it dirtier and dirtier over the years with scuffs on the doors and scuffs on the floors and broken tiles and water stains and broken glass in the office and he he, he really you know that was part of his vision to to show the decay in a, in a realistic way. Um, very often we're on set and we'll line up a shot, and I'll see a big black scuff on the wall, and I'm like, guys, is that is that art direction or? was that an accident that one of the grips had with a piece of equipment, you know? <laughs> and then we have to consult, you know, the art department and try to figure out if that was intentional or not, whether we should fix it or just leave it alone. So there was a lot of that. Um, also, you know, occasionally he'll he'll have in mind for a certain episode, a certain movie, and he'll say, for this episode, watch this movie. And we do that, and you know, it, it could be like, in one episode it was La Ventura, Antonio's movie, another episode it was Rosemary's Baby, you know, in one episode it was 2001. (laughs) So he's not saying anything, he he very rarely says anything specific like this shot or this scene in this movie, this is what I'm trying to do here. But he'll say, I had this movie in mind, so watch this movie in your preparation for this episode and then that will be on our minds while we're filming. And so it it kind of, um, I think it comes through unconsciously in the decisions that every uh, creative head makes.
1: Now, it seems to me that being on a series for this long would have both certain limitations as well as pleasures. I mean, on the one hand, it might start to feel kind of restrictive, but on the other, you can kind of make subtle changes and really develop a style in detail. And I was wondering what, for you, are the positives and the negatives for working several years on a series like this?
0: The negatives, I'll start with the negatives. The negatives are that you know, you're always under such Tremendous time pressure, it's very tempting always to reach into your bag of tricks and to pull out what has worked well in the past because you know it works, you know it's good, you know it's fast, everybody's done it before, and you'll get the job done. That's the negative, that's the downside, and that can be a little bit creatively stifling. The upside is that, you know, whenever we have a moment, usually in prep or Occasional moments we'll try to figure out a new way to do something because we've done the old way so many times You know, what's an angle in this set that we have never used? What's a way to light this set that we have never used? What piece of equipment do we not have that we can either order or have custom-made that will make give us a different approach to To lighting or shooting this particular set. So there are upsides though. The upsides are we know how all the moving parts work together. We, we've worked with our cast so long. We know, I, I as a cinematographer know their faces so well. I know what will work for them and what won't. And if we want them to look good in a scene, I know how to do that. If we want them to look bad in a scene, I know how to do that as well. <laughs> so that's one of the advantages of working on the same show for so long.
1: And do you still shoot on film? We do not. No. When did that transition happen? Because I remember uh, when the magazine covered the show in season three, I believe you were quoted as saying, you know, shoot on film and you would be, you know, like Matthew Weiner would want to shoot on film as long as there were still, you know, labs and everything like that. (laughs) So obviously something changed. Um, When did the change come and what brought that about?
0: Well, the change happened, I think, season five, and I think it came from studio surprise. Matthew was against it, as you know, he's and as I've said before, he's a cineast and he's a die-hard film guy. And, but he said to Lionsgate, you know, if you guys pay for a test, I'll consider it. So we did a full day of shooting with a full crew and we didn't have actors, but we used our stand-ins and put them through period hair, makeup, and wardrobe. And um, we shot side-by-side tests of uh, film versus Alexa in all of our standing sets. Now, by this point, I had already worked with the Alexa twice, I did the um, uh, Homeland pilot with the Alexa, that was my first Alexa job, and then I did the Revenge pilot with the Alexa. So, And I had worked with almost every digital camera system, usually, you know, in either pilots or commercials. And the Alexa was the first camera that I truly loved and I thought, you know, rendered images a lot like film. So. You know, I said to Matt, you know, when we talked about doing this test that, you know, I, of all the digital camera systems, this is my favorite. This is the only one that would be worth considering for Matt at that time. Now, this is, this is three years ago now, so everything changes so quickly. There are many other, you know, uh, systems and systems that I, don't, I, that I haven't even tried. But I knew that I liked the Alexa chip and that Matt might like it as well. So we did film versus Alexa in all our sets. That was really educational and it was kind of, it was kind of a draw. And I think Matt made the decision ultimately in the end because he knew he would have more flexibility in post. He likes to change shots. You know, usually it's very subtle, it's very little, but he'll often blow up shots if, you know, for emotional emphasis, if he feels he's too wide at a certain point. And and there's a lot more flexibility to do that. with the Alexa footage than with film because with film you have to you know you have to rehang the negative and if you're really gonna blow something up and then sometimes the grain is unacceptable anyway and you know it's that that kind of thing Uh, so creatively as a showrunner as a director he saw that it was uh, that it might be beneficial to him now my point of view was I was on the fence because I had been doing the show for three years now and I, I was worried that I might never get to shoot film again. So if we stayed on film, I would have been more than happy to stay on film. I love film. But creatively, I, was, I thought that switching to a new format might be energizing you know, creatively. Working on a sh- having worked on a show for three years already and going into a fourth year of it, I thought it might really get my creative juices going and, and uh, allow me to do something different. In the end, it was Matt's decision, which I endorsed, and um, and then Technicolor did a. Or actually, it was Laser Pacific at the time. Did kind of a proprietary custom grain effect for us that we really liked, and you know, we were we were everyone on the show was so unaccustomed to looking at like clean Alexa footage that they found a way to cheaply just slap. The grain effect onto even the dailies. So by the time anyone was even watching dailies, it already had the grain effect, and it it had that that film grain feel, although it was digitally replicated. Um, I don't think any of the viewers noticed or even know, you know. And partly it's because of that that grain effect.
1: Well, the show now is in its seventh and final season, so obviously you and uh, your collaborators all want to go out strong. What kinds of conversations did you and the producers have going into season seven uh, about what the approach would be? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, or did it not feel different? I mean, well, I don't know.
0: We, we 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 didn't try to try to change very much at all. I mean, I think that we felt like you know the formula we had put together was working really well. So I I don't I don't think we made any significant changes, any notable changes even, um, from season six to season seven. Season seven was kind of strange for me because the schedule worked out so that I would direct episode three, so what it meant was that I shot the premiere and then stopped and then went right into prep as a director. You know, the first half of season season seven was very strange that way, so I I prepped as a director episode two, I didn't shoot, I directed episode three and then I posted you know, did editing during episode four and started shooting episode five and we had a director drop out at the last second. So then I took over and had to jump in and direct episode five and then shot six and seven. So it was a very strange, the first half of season seven was very strange for me creatively. I was, and and by the time, you know, I I basically, I had shot 701, the premiere, and then hadn't really DP'd much of anything until second to last episode 706 so I felt a little out of sorts and and when I started episode six I I had to you know re retrain my brain to get back into DP mode it was kind of tricky but it you know it only took a day or less you know it's like riding a bike you know
1: so. yeah well that's something I'm really interested in that I wanted to talk to you about is this dual role you have on the show now where you kind of go back and forth um, Going back a couple of years, how did it first arise that you became a director uh, on the show? How did you start? How did that opportunity come up? Uh, Was it something you had always been pursuing? or No,
0: in fact it, it wasn't. I, you know, I, I wanted to... I studied film as an undergraduate and when you're a freshman film student you want to be a writer, director, filmmaker because that's the only job you know and that's what everyone wants to do when they're 18 or 19 if they've chosen to study film. Slowly I learned that I had an aptitude for shooting and people wanted me to shoot for them. And then it was around the time when I applied to AFI that I decided that I wanted to work on set as much as possible and that I didn't really see myself as the type of personality who who could raise money for a film, you know, get people excited about my film. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of salesmanship that goes on with being an independent filmmaker and I didn't feel like I, that that... I had the personality to be successful at that. So I gravitated towards cinematography. And then when I applied to uh, the American Film Institute, that's when I made the decision to apply as a cinematographer. And then when I went there, I I kind of got trained to think that it was the best job in the world. And <laughs> there, there are many people who say that it is. Um, and I don't dispute that. Um, so I put the whole, you know, that that notion of, you know, directing when I was a young Person went way, way, way on the back burner, and I didn't think about it for years and years. But then, when I started at some point before season five, I again, it's part of it's part of like being on a show for many years. I felt like I needed to up the ante somehow, I needed to engage the show more fully and be creatively juiced. And so, I mean, I'll give you an example M- many people talk about how they they can't sleep before the first night of a, of a new show or a new movie or whatever because they're so keyed up and nervous about it. And I hadn't felt that way in years. I thought, what you know, what is what is going to give me that feeling again? You know, and be careful what you wish for, of course. So I asked Matt, actually Matt, Matt Weiner asked me um, if I could recommend any, any directors, any new directors to come onto the show. And I said... Well, uh, how about me? <laughs> and he was a little surprised, and I was surprised that I asked, and uh, he said, sure, great, you know, why not? Um, so I'm, I'm happy that he trusted me enough to think that I could do it, because I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure if I could do it. I hadn't directed anything since I was an undergraduate, which was my thesis film. Um, I did direct one spec spot 12 or 15 years ago, but that was... I'm not sure if I answered the question, but
1: um, yeah, no, it, well, and so that, that's you, how it happened. And when you jumped, and when you directed that first episode, I mean, did you uh, the night before? Were you unable to sleep and nervous? And yes, the, <laughs> yes, it
0: was pretty nerve wracking, and and I was kicking myself, thinking, why, why <laughs> did you do this? Actually, I'll tell you a little funny anecdote. I was in the office prepping. As a director for my first episode, and when, you know, when I came into the office, there were some floor plans on the walls, and there were some pencils and pens and post-its, and I, I was doing notes for myself and going through the script. And I use, I put all my notes on post-its because I, that way, when you get new drafts, I can just transfer the post-it notes instead of recopying everything by hand. It's just my method, anyway. So I'm, I'm, I pull off a post-it for a note and put it in my script, and I see that there's writing on the post-it underneath, and I thought, that's strange, somebody wrote something in the middle of my post-it pad, it was upside down, and I turn it around and it says, so you really wanted to direct. (laughs) And I thought, hmm, who had this office right before me, (laughs) and it was Phil Abraham. Uh, Yeah, we had a good laugh about that, uh, because he knew exactly what I was going through, because he, you know, he he did it first on The Sopranos, um, so he knew he'd totally been there. But specifically, I I was transitioning from DP to director, I was most concerned that I wouldn't be able to give up the photography. I wouldn't be able to give it over to someone else, and um, that turned out to be... The easiest part of it for me, because Don Devine, my A-camera operator, moved up, and he'd been on the show for years already, and and or two years, I think, and he um, he knew how we shoot the show. He knew what my preferences were. I left him alone more or less. Uh, he did a fantastic job. I didn't worry about it at all. I was so consumed with honoring the story, getting the script right, working with actors, trying to learn their language, which is different than Mm -hmm. (laughs) DP's language. (laughs) Um, And uh, so it was so consuming to me otherwise that that the photography I didn't worry about too much.
1: Yeah, well I was wondering how your relationship with the actors changed and maybe continues to change now that you go back and forth, because it is a different, whole different way of communicating. I think
0: it, 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 I think my relationship with the actors deepened tremendously and it's because when you're a cinematographer, all your conversations more or less are are technical. It's like you don't have time for small talk, you don't have time for chit chat, you don't really have time to bond with the actors. You know, the extent of our conversations for years was like, John, when you come through this door, would you mind leaning on your right? You know, and or good morning. When you come through this door, could you step a little to your right? <laughs> you know, it's like it was it's always technical, it's always superficial. And as a cinematographer, you're just Too busy. There's no there's no downtime to kind of chit-chat with actors. It's like as the DP, you're either watching a rehearsal, blocking the scene with the director, discussing the shots and the order of shots with the director and the AD, setting the camera, setting the shot, lighting the shot, and then when you're rolling, you're QCing the whole time what's happening in the shot. So there was really zero downtime. So I got, you know, with directing, there's a lot more downtime. There's a downtime when you're when the DP is lighting, so in that time I can talk to the actors about the scene or about whatever or what they feel about, you know, what their character should be doing and how to approach it and you have all those other discussions. So that was that was interesting and, and fun and I realized how much I liked the actors.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I really do, I love, I love actors and I didn't know that, you know, because As a cinematographer, you're often at cross-purposes with actors. Sometimes they want to go to a place in the set that you're not really lit for, or they want to do something that makes the shot more complicated. As a DP, you spend a lot of time thinking, if they just wouldn't move, it would be perfect. (laughs) But that's the difference between still photography and cinematography. You know, actors move, and, you know, they're human beings that have ideas about why they move, when they move, where and what they do and you have to accommodate that and sometimes it's frustrating for for dps to 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 make allowances for improvised pieces of action
1: have you found that it's less frustrating now that you've directed when you go back to being a DP? yeah
0: it is i try to be much more accommodating i think i understand them much better than i used to (laughs) i understand actors much better and of course i understand directors much better i've been in that seat now i know how difficult it is you know, I learned, I learned how excruciating it can be to, to wait for lighting. I know that pain now and it's made me faster and try, I've always been accommodating directors. That's the way I was trained, you know, at film school. But now I'm even more so because I totally feel their pain. I feel, I, I know what it feels like to watch your day slip away. I know what it feels like to be in the editing room and not have a shot that you needed or wanted um, because you didn't have enough time. That's horribly painful. So now I'm bending over backwards to give the directors everything everything they want, even if you know, and even if I think part of me thinks maybe they don't need it, because need and want are, are two different things. And you know, you need certain shots to tell your story. But the shots that, that might be deemed by some people as additional, or bonus, or gravy, or whatever, very often those are the shots where the director is giving something extra of themselves. That's, that's their personal imprint on the scene, or on the show, or their point of view. And so, you know, sacrificing those shots is like sacrificing a part of themselves, what they bring to the, to the, to the show. So it's you know I it's terribly painful and I try to I try not to let that happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. Has this given you a taste for directing? I mean, would you want to direct more, or direct features, or anything like that, or is it sort of a special circumstance just on this?
0: Uh, that's a question I've been asked a lot, and it's a question I'm not sure I know the answer to. I think that ultimately we're all we're all storytellers, and you know what part of the story and how or how involved you are with the story varies project to project and depending on what job you're in so I think the most important thing to me is to be involved in shows that I believe in that I like that I would want to watch myself and whether or not I get to do that as a DP or as a director I don't I don't know but I would I would much rather shoot something than that I'm proud to be a part of, like, Mad Men, than direct something that I didn't really believe in. I don't, I don't know what opportunities will present themselves in the future, but um, I, I want to I do work that I enjoy, that I think is quality, however I can do
1: that. Well, one of the directors you mentioned, who you've worked with as a DP on the show, is Phil Abraham, and that's kind of an interesting circumstance, because he shot the pilot for Mad Men. So you're essentially shooting for the guy who created the look of yes. the series. Um, what's that collaboration like? You know, what was that experience like?
0: The funny thing is, I sometimes had to remind Phil that he used to be a DP. I'm like, really? You want, you're you asking me to, to do what? You know? Like, don't you remember? You know? <laughs> because sometimes I, it feels like uh, he forgot, you know? But he pushes me very hard, which I, you know, I, I admire him very much, and I think that, like, one of the things that's really cool about Phil is that he's he's always pushing to make the shot better, and I think that comes from, I think that comes from his time as a camera operator, and as a DP. Is is he's always pushing to make a shot, every shot extraordinary rather than ordinary. And you can you know when you when you work on a show for a long time and you have a lot of work to do in a day and you're trying to do forty setups a day or whatever it is. There is a temptation to do there is a temptation to do what's easy and what's fast always uh cuz you you have to make the schedule but Phil is always trying to find the one little thing that makes a shot he's a shot maker you know it's like he's 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 always trying to find the one the one little thing that makes a shot extraordinary and and he pushes me to do the same and pushes me out of my comfort zone and i think the best directors do that so that it's it's fun because like he knows you know I, you know he knows what he's asking sometimes if it's if it's uh if it's difficult um and uh, we have a good rapport and we have a good like I can you know it it's a, it's a it's a it's a fun collaboration anyway
1: well what is the schedule like on the show because I know uh friends of mine who have directed for AMC you know say that there's you get more freedom in some ways, but it's the the resources are considerably less than what you have on a network show, um which and madmin, you know, it looks fantastic. Like I was surprised to read uh, an interview with you from a while back saying that it was a show where you had, you know much lower budget and than yeah. other things you were used to. Um, what are the kind of, I guess limitations in terms of resources? I mean, how long do you have to shoot each episode?
0: Well, I you know, i I still think it is. I think they do spend less money than a major network show. I don't know the figures. I really don't. All I know is you know coming from a show like Prison Break, for instance, where it was it was a hit, Fox was spending a lot of money. I know that our budget was much smaller than that you know um i I, I so i don't I don't know actual figures, but I feel it <laughs> um, when I started on Mad Men, we were seven-day show. We did seven days per episode and invariably with seven days there would be you know occasional scenes that get dropped and then every three or four episodes they would add a day to clean up stuff. You know pick up scenes we missed or maybe reshoot a shot or a scene or you know some second unit type stuff. So there'd be some slop over days. So I think it, season two was seven days and then I think midway through season three we went to eight days and then it it just kind of kept expanding. (laughs) But generally the model was like nine days for season seven, I think. But it's you know it's 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 partly because the the stories became denser, more characters, more storylines. You know, in, in season two we had fewer scenes per script the scripts are always you know roughly the same size 52 pages or thereabouts um, for a 47 minute show I think uh, the network shows are generally 42 30 or 43 or something like that they have they basically have one more commercial break than we do on AMC so we're actually producing a longer show in less time and everybody kind of measures a day's work in 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 number of pages, but what's more important is the number of scenes, Um, because if you have the same number of pages but more scenes and more different sets on more different stages, then you're moving more, you're blocking more, you're relighting more, you're, you know, so everything takes more time. I don't know if I answered the question. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> and,
1: and it's, you know, even, I mean, nine days is still pretty tight given all of the different, especially on the, the new season where, as you say, you're jumping forth, forth, back and forth between different characters. I mean, you've got scenes set in Los Angeles, scenes set in New York, different apartments, different you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so obviously you, you have challenges in terms of getting everything you need, but is there also a benefit to having to shoot that fast? I mean, do you find that you rely more on your first intuition or instinct and is that helpful i mean do you feel like the the benefits of or are there benefits i guess to being you know having to work as fast as you do i don't think so i think <laughs> i think
0: that uh i think that filmmakers in general always want more time than they have but it's one of those things it's like you know it's like boundaries create art you know in many many ways and You know, if you saw that documentary about Apocalypse Now, (laughs) you see how dangerous it can be to have all the time in the world and all the money in the world. And, you know, I think, but I do think there is kind of a tipping point where if you have too much, and I don't know where this point is, but if you have too much time, then you kind of lose momentum. And whatever energy was created in the scene... Between the actors can dissipate if the shooting is spread out over too many hours or too many days. So I know that's a real danger for filmmakers, uh, but uh, not too many people have that problem of having too much time.
1: Right. I was going to say, have you ever had that luxury? <laughs> have you ever felt that on something? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I
0: don't. I, I'm. I'm speaking from my imagination. Yeah. I really don't know what that's like. <laughs> you know, you can get. You can definitely get to too precious if, you, if you're given too much time.
1: How much of a role do you get to play in post on the show, both as a director and as a cinematographer? Because you were talking about how in the first half of season seven, you were kind of always it, it seemed like the two jobs were kind of bleeding into each other and there wasn't a lot of time in between episodes and, you know, so what's what's your role in uh, in post? Well,
0: as a cinematographer in post I'm really only engaged in the color timing and, uh, and on a show like Mad Men where you know, we don't alternate DPs, it, it, it becomes very difficult. Usually what would happen was if a show was, you know, like I, I get a cut of the, of, the, of the locked cut and then sometimes I'd give notes to the final colorist and the, who's Tim Vincent, um, who's excellent by the way. Um, but he, you know, then Thursday or Friday morning I would go in early before call for a couple hours and sit with him. And go through the episode and give him some more specific notes. And as the years progress, I've done that less and less. And partly it's because Tim is completely on my wavelength. He's completely on Matt Weiner's wa- wavelength. He knows what we like and what we don't like. And I mean, it, it, it got to the point where it's really, it's really uncanny. You know, for instance, I'd be looking at a shot and I say to Tim, "Can we put a, you know, a little power window?" Here on that corner, he's like like this, and then he'll pull it, and it's like he's already done it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh wow, you already did that. Yeah, uh, just make it a little stronger, <laughs> you know. So he's totally. We kind of had this in terms of the color correction. Matthew and Tim and I have have our minds have melded in terms of how the show has looked, and so it takes less and less maintenance to get that that look.
1: So. Um is, are you done on the show now? Have you shot everything for yes, season seven? Yes,
0: we are finished and forever.
1: So how do you uh, how do you feel looking back on it? Was it were you relieved to be done, or were you you know did you feel lost or? <laughs> was uh, it, was def- like
0: it was definitely bittersweet. It was bittersweet, and towards the end, I I got so it's so exhausting. You know, it's a marathon, and I got um, so. Focused on just completing each day and completing the work and doing it well and, you know, through utter exhaustion that I didn't have, I didn't really have time to reflect on the fact that it was all ending (laughs) until the final day, which was emotionally uh, pretty devastating, I think, for everybody. Um, You know, we wrapped eight principal actors on the final day, So each time we'd do their last shot there'd be you know speeches and hugs and tears and we we went through that i wasn't i wasn't prepared for that i wasn't prepared for that it was it was uh because it is it is a family you know and um our producer scott hornbacher and matt weiner have worked very hard over the years to make it a family atmosphere and to you know, surround themselves with people who love the show, get along, work well together and it was a really uh, rare thing and, um, you know, a lot of us, when we're shooting we spend way more time with each other than we do with our own families. So it really is our work family and, um, you know, to see it kind of end is just, it's, it's really it's emotional and sad um it was a hard day it was the hardest day I think
1: (laughs) well and in addition to the show you've also worked with Matt Weiner on his feature right he's got a feature coming out um called Are You Here uh maybe to wrap up is there anything you can talk about with that I mean I you know people presumably haven't seen it yet when this is airing but um how did how did that come about when did you shoot that was that between seasons of Mad Men that you guys shot that, or yeah,
0: yeah, I think it was between five and six. Even though it's not coming out until <laughs> it's coming out next month, uh-huh. um, August. It's coming out August twenty fourteen. Anyway, um, uh, that was really fun. Uh, we had a lot of the principals from Mad Men. We went to Winston Salem, North Carolina, um, to film the movie, and uh, I hadn't. I had never really prepped with. Matt Weiner, uh, because every year on Mad Men, he directs the finale, and I've been shooting the whole time. So I had never been through the whole prep process with him, and that was a blast, you know. And we got to really, you know, spend time in locations and talk about each scene and how what his plan was to cover it and how we were gonna attack each scene. Um, So I had a lot, I could. I had an opportunity on the movie to really get inside his head in a way that I that I haven't on the show, um, and uh, you know it it was it was fun it was it was it was a blast.
1: Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming in and talking with us today. Uh, this has been Jim Hemphill yeah. and Chris Manley talking about Mad Men for the American Cinematographer podcast. <laughs>
0: This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.